Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another thrilling episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I am still your host. Today with me on our panel, we have from way down under Mr. Luke Diebel. Hello, hello. Hello, Mr. Luke. And coming from all the way from Africa, we have Solomon Esemi. Hi, Solomon. Hello, everybody. My name is Solomon from Nigeria. From Nigeria. Yes, we are truly a multinational, multi-continental podcast. And uh -huh. with us today, as our special guest, we have prolific JavaScript developer, the prolific JavaScript developer, the Jared Wilkert. How you doing, Jared? Hey there, I'm good. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So our subject today is desktop app development with Vue.js. So instead of just developing apps that run in your browser, you can develop apps that run on a desktop. So Jared, why don't you give us a little background first? Tell us a little background on yourself, who you are, why you're famous and what we're talking about today. And just as a refresher, if you want to hear more about Jared, we had him on episode number 99 of Views on View about testing in View. So he's yeah. back again as a repeat victim or <clears throat> guest, excuse me. Yeah. So Jared, the floor is yours. Hi, Hi I'm the Jared Wilkert. I'm a UI architect. I, in my free time, do tons of open source work, a couple hundred projects. I've been making desktop apps since before Electron existed, so back before it was cool. And I'm probably most well known for a project called Scout App, which is an open source desktop app for processing your SAS files into CSS. And uh, that's been downloaded around a million times, so that one's fairly popular. So there's my, my desktop app street cred for you. And tonight, today we're going to be talking specifically about cross-platform desktop apps, or um, XPDAs. XP meaning cross-platform, DA, desktop apps. So that's kind of what we'll be, I think, diving into and going over some different tools that are out there, why these things are popular, that kind of stuff. Should we, should we dive in? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. Okay. Cool. Yeah, let's start out with a little background, I guess. As you mentioned, Electron, that sort of seems to have been the, the dominant player when it comes to creating desktop apps. For instance, Slack, I believe, is, is an Electron app. And you started way back when. So when is way back when? I, I, would, I was tinkering around 2013, 2014. So around that. Okay, so what was the first tools you used to make uh, desktop apps? Uh, I mean, I played around with a bunch of different stuff, like Adobe Air, and there were several Adobe things that made it kind of easy to just make desktop app stuff, but I didn't really make anything serious with those. NW.js is the one where I, I really started to get into making desktop apps for real. And yeah, so that that's the one that I kind of started with. Now, being from the Pacific Northwest, anytime I hear NW, I think Northwest but I'm pretty sure that that's not what the, the NW stands for. What does that stand for? It was originally called Node WebKit, and you'll still find people referencing it as that online. The idea was, can we take the WebKit rendering engine, which uses Chromium uses WebKit and Chromium uses the V8 JavaScript engine, and can we combine that with Node.js, which also uses the the JavaScript engine and kind of give Node a, a UI. So that's where the name originally came from. Then later on, they switched from being WebKit to actually just being Chromium. They switched from Node to a spork of Node called IOJS. And they realized that neither of the technologies they're using are called 
Node or WebKit. They're now using Chromium IOJS. So they rebranded to NW, meaning native web. So a little history for you. All righty. So let's get started with the current state. What are the different tools that are out there for creating what we call XPDAs? Yeah. yeah so these XPDAs are cross-platform desktop apps. There's a lot more out there than just Electron. There's a website called xpda.net, and it lists a few dozen tools. So for people who are interested in looking into making cross-platform desktop apps, that's a great resource because it's just a quick pros-cons list of a bunch of different tools, links to resources for tutorials or uh, boilerplate, stuff like that. But yeah, there's a whole bunch, and they also list what operating systems each tool supports and what languages you use to write them in. So you can filter on those if there's a specific programming language you prefer or operating systems you're trying to support. Some, some notable ones, as we just mentioned, nw.js is the one that we're going to talk more about today. Electron, also super popular. Everyone's kind of heard of that one. But there's, a, there's several other ones out there as well. I think LibUI is a really interesting one and um, Wales. And there's several more, but you can look into those other ones. Today, we're mainly going to be talking about NWJS and kind of the pros and cons of it and using it with, with Vue. So we've got a, a boilerplate that I've made, which is kind of how I got invited back here. Uh, every time I make a view library, uh, I, I message you guys and say, I want to come talk about it. Yeah, I think maybe we could talk about business reasons or why these tools are attractive, what draws people to use these tools or why you would go with a tool where you would write in one code base and generate a, an app in multiple operating systems versus writing the code natively. Those are all topics we can dive into. Do you want to go into, into that one first? Yeah, I'm curious about this because I know of some companies that, for example, have are obsessed with being so close to the hardware that they might build an, an app in Android and then an app in iOS as well, mm-hmm. which, which these, days, these days seems a little bit crazy to me. And so, yeah, I am sort of, I, I'm sort of curious to know some of the some of the other business benefits to this. Sure. Yeah. So specifically for desktop stuff, I don't want to dive too much into mobile and get us, you know, too off topic, but there you could go the route of doing that, of doing it natively, where you hire some C developers for your Windows app and you hire some Objective C developers for your your OSX and you get maybe a Python developer or something for Linux. And maybe it's not worth it to hire someone for Linux because it's such a small market share. And realistically, what we see is it's almost never worth it to hire them for Linux or OS X. Windows has been 90 to 95% market share for desktops since the 90s, and it's still that way. Nothing's really shaken it that much. It's maybe lost 5% in the last 30 years. So... If, if it comes down to hiring a bunch of expensive developers, it's hard to justify building your app for an extra 5 to 10% of users. So that's one thing is we've seen in the last 30 years, if you don't use cross-platform tools, it's only the biggest of the big tech companies like Adobe and Google and Microsoft that even bother making stuff for multiple operating systems. You know, Even Apple, extremely rarely would create software outside of their own operating system. They did Safari for a couple of years and then abandoned it. And iTunes is really the only thing that they really thought, if we want to get the the uh, the music playing market share, we'd also have to target the Windows environment. So it's pretty rare for companies, if they're not using cross-platform tools to support cross-platform. But if you want to be inclusive, and to, to support everyone and save money, it makes sense to use those cross-platform tools because then you can just have one tool that all of your developers use in one language that they're all familiar with versus having several different teams experienced in different languages or one team of very expensive devs who's experienced in a lot of languages. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it just kind of makes a lot more sense that way. Similarly, if, if you go the route of wanting your application to run in a browser, which there's a significant market advantage to, then it makes sense that the cross-platform tools you would use for mobile and desktop 
would also support that JavaScript ecosystem that your developers are already familiar with. Some, I think a good, a good case to look at, a good like case study would be the user experience field in that industry, which is pretty young. It kind of sprouted up a lot. There used to be a couple of major companies that had people with UX titles. And now that's really spread out. There's thousands of people with those titles around the world. And they went from just using design tools made by Adobe that were general purpose to having specifically crafted tools for their use case for their industry. And Sketch was the first big one to really hit the scene and say, hey, here's a great desktop app for you. It solved your problem specifically. But the developers behind it were big Apple fanboys. And so they specifically wrote like a blog post about how they would never support anything but Apple. And they see it as their duty to get more people to buy Apple hardware, which fair enough for them if that's their if that's their motto, that's their creed. But a lot of other software in that same space saw that as an opening and said, okay, if you're not going to support 90% of computers, we will. So we see Gravit and even Adobe came back and made a more specific thing, Adobe XD, that was cross-platform. But then the one that really grabbed everyone and has become the number one tool now is Figma. And I don't think it's a coincidence that unlike Sketch, unlike XD, it's a web app. You can run it entirely in a browser. It also has a desktop app version. But there's just a level of convenience where you can send someone a link directly to your Figma and it pops right in. Whereas with Sketch, you need to like combine it with other tools so you can present what you've made to other people and like export it out to some other thing. So there's just a, a lower barrier of entry and simplicity. And you don't need to, if you want someone else to see this in an editable form, they don't have to download and install something. So we see that there with in that uh, case. We also see that in the music industry and that software where iTunes used to be the big thing that was the number one music software. And now it's Spotify, which you can run directly in your browser. You can also download the desktop app version, which I think they used to be Electron and then abandoned Electron to switch to Chromium Embedded Foundation, CEF. And that's what they're using now but uh, for their desktop apps. But yeah, that's I think that's a really important case study for businesses. If you are trying to compete in a crowded market space, being able to run your software, at least most of the features directly in a browser, it will give you a huge competitive advantage. And then if you have those JavaScript developers making that app, then you might as well let them also make a desktop version with a few desktop-specific features, maybe use some cross-platform tools for the web as well, and then you have one single code base that can you run one command and it builds for all of your different platforms. Same thing with like Netflix as well. They support basically everything and can also run in a browser. Go ahead. Yeah, so to your point originally, where you were talking about how you could have a company that could have uh, an iOS dev and an Android and a desktop dev. I came from that exact situation in my previous job where we, it was biometric authentication was our, our, our main product. And so we had two or three iOS devs and we had a couple Android devs. And then I was the web dev <laughs> using Vue, but I was building more of the backend administration tool as compared to the customer facing apps. But, you know, I had, I had brought up the option of, you know, cross-platform tools back then. And I think the attitude is, well, we're so entrenched with what we have. And we don't really want to undertake the the retooling or the change that would be required to to use a tool like this. So I suspect that that's where a lot of companies are. You know, we're so entrenched. We have the people, we have the expertise wanting to convert away from that would be a a, a large undertaking, to say the least. Yeah, that, I mean, for existing code bases, that's always the case of it's if you can't convert it over incrementally so that you're still shipping the same product to the end users, but the internal architecture of what it's built out of is slowly being replaced with something else. If that's not feasible, it's really hard to, to drop an existing product with all the features that are already built in and just stop supporting it stop working on it and switch to a completely different system. That's always going to be um, difficult. Yeah, and there's also the politics of that as well, of 
as a C-sharp developer, as a Objective-C developer, a Swift or a, a Java developer, whatever, who specializes in those things, that's, you're specialized probably because you like doing that and you don't want to be replaced by somebody who's just going to write all the code in JavaScript when that's what you like doing. And you don't want to lose your job or be forced to switch to something that you won't like doing as much. So there's always politics as well with these things. But, you know, if a company already has people doing that, then good on them. Uh, I think it's just a really easy pitch for new projects. And we even see this at these bigger tech companies. Like Microsoft has, is the biggest company in the world when it comes to creating desktop software. Nobody makes more desktop software than Microsoft. And they have probably have tons of teams of people on every possible programming language doing that. And so, you know, they also are the ones who created VS Code, which is written entirely in JavaScript. So it's just a, it's a, it's a discussion that you can have as to what's right for your product. And there are times where the tooling that you want to use for cross-platform just isn't going to be able to do everything the native stuff can. That's something where like, if this particular phone, for example, you were, you were building and it had this specific unique hardware feature that no other phone had or was unique to this operating system, then if you're using a cross-platform tool, you'll have to break out of that tool briefly in your code to write some Objective-C or some Swift or some you know, Java to access this feature that isn't otherwise accessible. So that's always the case. Uh, you may have to break out a little bit. And the same is true with desktops. There are certain features that are operating system specific that only exist on Windows or Linux or something. And you'll want to be able to use that. And there's not an easy to find cross-platform node module that you can just npm install to handle that for you. You'll have to write some native code in that thing. That always just depends on what your application is. I have never had to do that in my applications, but I support a lot of people online through the various chat communities where people ask questions and are in those situations. I try to guide them and have uh, written a decent amount of libraries doing stuff like that. So explain to me a little bit how this works from a technical standpoint then. Is NWJS and these tools, are they basically making the attempt to exactly mimic what the your Mac OS libraries or your Windows libraries are doing? Are they actually tying in and using those desktop APIs? Uh, it sounds like there's some things that core stuff can do that maybe you can't do with one of these cross-platform apps. How does all that work together? Yeah, so it, it sort of just takes the approach of, let's take the Chromium browser, which already runs on all these different operating systems. It's already set up that way. It has all these features already built in out of the box. And let's modify it a little bit so that we can make it more compatible with desktop developments and lower some security settings because it's going to be ran as a desktop app. It's going to be in more of a trusted space. And then we'll add Node.js on top of that. So that's sort of the base starting point. And there's a lot of leave it to the user space design that goes into this where you could build some features into WJS directly, but you could also just npm install that stuff. Like that could just be some plugin that you, you download and run and it will handle that use case for you. And that's something that doesn't really need to be handled here. NWJS's main focus is being that a light API that bridges Chromium and Node, and then certain operating system specific features will be given to you as a very simple API in JavaScript that will abstract all of the operating system specific things from you. So you have a single API that you use, and this is how you show a desktop notification or a single API that you use to make the window Chrome frameless. So it doesn't have the native minimize, maximize, and close buttons built in. Those are hidden. And then you can just have a frameless window and then create that those buttons yourself with some CSS and some JavaScript quick events. So giving you that ability to just make it a frameless window, stuff like that, which is unique on each operating system as to how that's handled. But 
Here, it's just a single Boolean. Do you want it frameless or not? And it just simplifies those things. So there's a lot of OS-specific things where it just is the abstraction layer for you. So I assume that would be true for stuff like menu items, placing stuff in your menu bar and yeah, options for, for accessing exactly. the application. Or if you have like a tray app, one that like sits in your start bar next to like the little clock on your computer, just that little icon and then you click on a little menu pops out. Those kind of things is, you know, how you would do that in each operating system is specific to that operating system's API, but it's NWJS that's doing all of that under the hood. You just write a few lines of JavaScript and it handles the rest for you. And it, it does that abstraction. So it just simplifies the whole process. Now, that means that if you wanted to do some really wacky thing that is specific, that this little tray app menu that pops up uh, has this unique, cool feature that only works in this one operating system, you may not be able to do that in this way. Although, like, I think in this case, you would be able to, but I think it handles those kind of simple things. But for more complex or more niche things, stuff that would be more like only affect a very small percentage of users who are making a very specific type of desktop app. Those sort of things, you may find some limitations. But often, because you do still have complete node access, you can just spawn a child process. So if you have a little CLI, a little tiny .exe file that will just run via command line, you can just have that spawned in a child process. And whatever that tiny little native code you want, you can offload that to there and have it handle that stuff for like heavy processing, for example. Like if you were doing something like converting a video file or something where it would take a lot of CPU, you could offload that. Don't run that JavaScript, run that through FFmpeg or something. You can NPM install it, there it is, and that can be offloaded. So that's that's kind of how it's generally handled is most stuff you would just write it like you would a normal web app and you just happen to have some superpowers where you can access um, the file system or the hardware or run executables. Okay, so anybody got any other questions about uh, NWJS or desktop apps in, in general before we dive into the library? I mean, my main question would be, and we've been talking about it, so it's okay if you repeat yourself a little bit, but my, my main question is we're building desktop applications for multiple targets, either Mac OS, Linux, Windows, the web, what does it actually look like when you're when you're writing that those few lines of JavaScript to to handle those different cases so that you don't get into a situation where you're calling an API that doesn't exist? Or I, I know with Electron, for example, you have to specifically exit the application and close the window, but in all the other operating systems, you don't because macOS is weird. Just what does that look like when you're writing NWJS code? It's so for people who are familiar with Electron. I would highly recommend checking out WJS. It's the basically does all the same stuff. It has a few extra features that Electron doesn't. And it's the API is just much, much simpler. So what that that looks like is usually just a few lines of code. Most stuff works the same in all OSs. So you just have a single line of code for whatever it is you're trying to do. You would get the current window and then do dot maximize or dot minimize or dot close or dot hide or whatever. It's very simple API. And that's handled the same on all of them. It works the same in each OS. So you don't need to worry about doing anything unique. For cases where you do specifically want to, to only do something in this one particular OS, for that, you would just use Node to detect which operating system you're in. So you do process dot OS and see, does that equal Win32, Darwin, Linux, whatever? And then if it does, do this other thing, do this stuff. So that's how you would specifically target an OS. It's just a single if statement, and then you would put that in whatever the, the OS-specific code is that you wanted in there. Um, and sometimes this is a feature where you're using a third-party node module that is a native module, but it only supports Windows and Linux. And so then you would check to see if not Darwin run this code or if not Darwin show this div on the page. And then that feature is now revealed to those sets of users. And it's the same code you ship to everybody. They all get the same code. It's just it decides what lines of code to run based off of those very simple conditions. Yeah. I think that, that we can talk a little bit about the differences between NWJS and Electron. 
it's it's mainly just the approach. I mean, there's no questions on that, but I am very interested in that. I have a couple electron apps that I am maintaining as side projects. Um, okay. So cool. I'm I'm always interested in what the difference is. I I, I always keep meaning to check out NWJS because I, I hear about it a lot and I hear that it's supposed to be a much improved developer experience, bare minimum. Yeah. Uh, so I so it, I'd love to hear more. Yeah, yeah, uh, it absolutely is. I think the the really the main difference between the two is this philosophy as to how do you approach making an application. With NWJS, they assume you want to make a desktop app. With Electron, they assume you want to make a node script with an optional UI, which is two different entry points there. And so with, with the Electron, as, as you mentioned before, how you have to add in special code to hide and close the window. If you were trying to do a hello world out of the box with Electron, first off, you don't get a window. You have to create the window yourself. And then the window is created, and now you see it on the screen that says hello world. And then you click the X, the little red X in the corner of your window. And what do you think happens? Uh, nope, it doesn't do that. It doesn't do what you would think. It does not actually close your application. It hides the window. And this is the same on all operating systems. This is how it works. It just hides the window. and so at that point, you need to open up your task manager and right-click on Electron and close it. Because if you didn't write any code to handle this situation, that's your only option to get rid of it. So that's that's sort of a, a bad taste in your mouth if, when you're first. Yeah, I, I, I've run into that situation specifically, um, <laughs> especially yeah. with a with a Node application. Or, sorry, not a Node, an Electron application that's spinning up side tasks that don't have Windows. Even if you close the main window, and even if you've got it hooked up correctly, those side tasks are still running. And until those shut down, the main thread is not going away for your Electron app. Yeah. And, and to some extent, that's on the operating system, where that's just how operating systems work and how they spin off child apps and how those things are parent-childed and all that stuff. So that can happen in WJS, but it happens a lot less. You, you kind of have to be doing some silly stuff for that to occur. But uh, some, some other things that I think, um, I think that's like the main core philosophy behind the two of them as to what makes them different. Versus on NWJS, your entry point can literally just, in your package.json, you can set the main to index.html. And you can just point directly to an HTML file. And when you start your app, it just pops up a window and there's your HTML file. And it's very friendly in that way, where you don't need to have a lot of developer experience or be an expert at anything. If you just know a little bit of how to use the command line and you know a little bit of HTML, you can start learning from there. So I've, I've always been front-end, and NWJS was where I started to learn how to do Node because it was much more, it was much easier for me to do this from a visual standpoint where I can just put a div on the page or a button tag and when I click that button, now it's going to go and actually run my node code. It'll actually fire up a child process or, um, you know, use the file system to read in some data, or write some data, or, um, you know, tell me what the current CPU usage is or whatever. Um, all of those things that you access through node, that's kind of how I learned how to use node was through that. Some other differences between the two of them, besides just like the, I, I think I should really stress how incredibly easy it is to get started with NWJS. Here's the full instructions. You ready? Create a package.json file. You should have a main in it, and it should point to index.html. Uh, you should give it a name, and any, any name you want, as long as it's URL safe, no spaces or anything. And then you npm install nw at SDK, and that'll download a version that has the DevTools built in. And then you create a just a blank index.html file, and then you can do npx nw dot. And there you go. You run one command to install nwjs. You run one command, and you've got a desktop app. Two files, two lines of code, two commands. That's it. And that's how easy it is to get up and, up and running. So That seems like cheating after working with Electron. <laughs> yeah. You just need a valid HTML5 file. That's it. If you wanted, because Electron's entry point is a JavaScript file, and that JavaScript file then defines the window and then launches it. 
You can define the window in your package.json. So you can just put a little window object in there and say, this is the min and max size of my window, and it's going to be frameless, and it's going to do this and that. You can, you can do that in the package.json if you want. You can also create a .js file and launch it from there, but nobody does that because it's just so much easier just to point to an HTML file and just have it pop up. And then that HTML file has your link tag for your CSS and your script tag for your JavaScript. And that's that JavaScript file that you point to can access node stuff, or you can do it right there in line. You can actually do a on-click equals require FS and like directly access stuff right from the DOM. So it's just super easy to get started with. And the API is much, much simpler. There's no like ICP process where you have to talk through a process to communicate across windows, that kind of stuff. That's an, that render process system is something that people complain a lot about in Electron. So it's just a yeah. much easier thing. Yeah, one of the common complaints you hear about Electron and you know maybe it's a Slack app in particular is that they just sort of suck up any available memory and you know slow things down to a crawl. So I'm going to make an assumption here that NWJS is slightly better on, on resource management or less heavy on resource use on, on the desktop than Electron? Yes and no. <laughs> Ooh. Um, so, yeah. Just they, goes to prove what they say about assuming is true, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so so they they are both a Chromium browser with Node.js built in. So as those technologies go on throughout time, new features are added to them, new bug fixes are added to them, and those technologies get bigger. So with every new release of NWJS, with every new release of Electron, they get bigger in size, they consume more memory. With that said, NWJS has a lot of really good older versions that use older versions of Chrome and Node that you can switch back to. Uh, you're giving up on some of those newer features, but you can get a much, much smaller file size, much smaller memory usage compared to Electron. So it it has a lot better options for that. It also supports a lot more operating systems, about twice as many operating systems as Electron, including all the way back to like Windows XP if you wanted to. So, yeah. What about Windows 98? Does it go back that far? No, but you're welcome to submit a PR. Okay, I'll get right on that. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. This has gotten me really curious now. Like, where did Electron slide in then to this ecosystem? If we've got this thing that's like... You're going to love this. It seems to be working just fine. It sounds like the API is bliss to use. So... Was somebody just crazy and they're like, oh, I just want to I just want to do do something like really difficult with my life? Or where did this come from? Okay, yeah, you're <laughs> going to love this. So I mentioned earlier that, that NWJS started as Node WebKit. Um, it was created by this guy, Roger Wang, who uh, uh, works at the, in, the Intel Open Source Foundation or in, Open Source Software Foundation or something like that. Um, so he works over at Intel in their open source division, and he gets this idea of what if we could make, hey, desktop apps are really cool. It kind of sucks that they're so annoying to make work in each platform. You know, what if I could just take something that already did that and I get this other thing, combine them, and so on. And that's kind of where that proof of concept came out with taking the WebKit engine and hooking it directly into Node. And then the very next version being like, that was hard. Can I make this easier with just doing Chromium and then adding Node on top of that? So he worked on that for uh, a while. And then Intel was like, we like what you're doing here. This seems cool. Keep working on this. We're going to give you an intern to work on this. And so this intern came in and did a little bit of work on it and then left and then started claiming that he created NWJS. And he did all of the work and Roger barely touched it. Um, even though there's a Git history, you can look at the commit history on it. And he seems to be of questionable ethics at this point in time. I, I assume the best in people and that this was a blip in his history and that he's a good person now. But GitHub didn't really look into him too much. And they decided to hire up this intern so that they could make uh, a legally distinct knockoff of NWJS so that they could make a legally distinct knockoff of Sublime Text called Adam. 
So that's the history of how this happened was GitHub, rather than support this existing open source project and contribute to it and improve it and give it more resources, they had that not invented here syndrome and decided we want full control over this and we want to be able to complain, you know, we want to be able to, to say that we invented this cool thing that nobody else has really heard of. NWJS never really got any marketing or branding behind it, which is why it has that kind of terrible name of NW.js. It's not great branding. It's not great marketing. So no one really heard a lot about it. People who were looking into this stuff, they would find out about it. But it was it was really that like open source word of mouth stuff where just unless you were specifically asking for something like that and somebody was aware of it, could recommend it, you just didn't hear about it that much. So Electron came out and did basically the same thing, but not as good. Really funny fact for you is when Electron first came out, it was called Atom Shell because just like NWJS, they were also not good at naming things. <laughs> and then someone from the marketing department at GitHub came downstairs and slapped them and said, you're not allowed to name things anymore. This is called Electron. Uh, and they made an Electron website and the documentation on the Electron website was literally copy pasted from the NWJS website, bad English and all. Like they just did a find and replace for anything that said NW or, uh, or Node WebKit and changed it to Electron. So like the first release of their documentation was copy-pasted from this other thing, which it's open source, it's licensed, you're allowed to do that. But I always thought that was really funny that they weren't even hiding it, <laughs> that it was just like, we're doing the same thing, but with our own name on it. So yeah, and then they marketed it really well. So that's your your funny history. Yeah, isn't that silly? <laughs> that's, that's why it came about. And then they marketed it really well. They advertised and said, look, we made Adam with this. And then a few other projects, big name projects like Slack and VS Code, also made stuff in there. VS Code's an interesting one because after they they started using Electron and the biggest complaint about Atom was it's really, really slow. And then VS Code was like, it's slightly faster, but it's Microsoft. Like, why are they using Electron? And it turns out that they're not really anymore. <laughs> They've kind of completely hacked it and they're doing their own custom build that's like five times faster than what the base Electron stuff is. So... If you're looking at VS Code and saying, wow, I could make this with Electron, that's not a real accurate representation of what Electron's used for or capable of. It's a, it's a very customized build that, that VS Code has. With that said, all of that marketing that came behind Electron, all of that marketing and branding um, to give it that cool logo and that nice looking slick website and that, that great name, with that came an ecosystem. If you market it, people come and they find out, they think it's this cool new thing, they start using it, and the ecosystem builds around it. And now Electron has the biggest ecosystem for this stuff. The base tool itself isn't the best option out there, but it's still good. It's not like terrible. It was that Lindsay who was using it on some projects and like yeah. you're able to you made some stuff, right? Like it works. It's just there are better options out there but their ecosystems will be weaker. NWJS is, is a, I would say, like a medium-sized ecosystem, but yeah. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a sucker for good marketing. If I see something with like a really nice logo, a really beautiful landing page, my subconscious just tells me like, I remember this is a piano maker called Fazioli and they're like the best pianos on the planet. And they talk about how they go underneath the piano and they make the underside of the piano look really good. It's that kind of concept of trying to make everything like perfect. And I think that's kind of stuck with me now. Jeez, now I feel bad because like that's definitely what would have got me into Electron in the first place. I would have seen that logo, would have seen that landing page and just thought, oh, this is pretty. I'm going to go run at this shiny thing. Yeah, yeah, and, it's, and that, that was basically that was basically my experience. I was just getting into I'd, I'd been moving from the back end to the front end. Was getting into the JS ecosystem. Uh, was scrolling through, and it's like, okay, I need to learn Vue. I need to learn React. Oh, what's this Electron thing? That's cool. Website's neat. I'll, I'll I guess I'll learn that too. What's NW? Oh, it's like Electron. Okay, well, I'm already learning Electron. I'll move on with life. That that was my initial reaction, and you know, especially through this conversation. But over the years, I've always felt like, did I make the right choice? And now I'm thinking I'm going to move a side project over and see see how much better it can be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Vue community particularly is 
more likely to be receptive because you already know what it's like to have something else be the most popular number one thing called React. This is and, very true. Yeah. And yeah, and so you you know that if you look into alternatives, you can find better stuff like Vue. And so I feel like this really is a good group of uh, community, the Vue community, to to be more receptive to trying out something that doesn't have the biggest ecosystem because React has a bigger ecosystem. It isn't the number one choice because React's number one choice, but is more willing to look at something for what are its technical specifications. And there are some features that um, Electron flat out has said they will never add that NWJS has. Probably the biggest one of those that people find most, that the biggest reason to go to NWJS is protected source code. So that that is, you know, if you're making for-profit commercial software, there's 90% of that software is going to be closed source. That's just how the world is. Almost all commercial for-profit software is closed source. And if you want to keep your software closed source, you cannot do that with Electron, period. They, they do not let you do that. They have what's called an ASAR file, which is just a glorified zip file. And inside of that is where all of your code is, and they can see that. So if you wanted to protect your source code, it has to either be in native code that you wrote in a different language than JavaScript and built to a native.exe file, or you need to keep that, that proprietary code on your server and only have that functionality be available if they have internet access and they can reach that. That's the only way you can do that with Electron. Within WJS, they use what's called a V8 snapshot. So what that does is you run a command for your where you pass in your JavaScript file into this, this command, and it will load that JavaScript file up in a JavaScript V8 engine, and that loads into your computer's memory and your operating system's memory, and then it takes a snapshot of what it looks like in memory, and it saves that as a compiled V8 snapshot of your code. And you could potentially decompile that if you're extremely knowledgeable about that specific operating system, its memory management system, how to decompile compiled code. And you're also extremely knowledgeable about the V8 engine and how it works, then you might be able to do that. But to my knowledge, there's never been any recorded case of anyone ever successfully doing that. And then even after you go through all that, what you get out would probably be minified, uglified JavaScript code that you would then have to manually de-uglify to read. So, which that's not nearly as hard to do. Like I, I'm a knowledgeable enough person where I could run your JavaScript through a de-uglifier and then go through and re-piece together what it was doing and find out what your secret sauce was. But if it's in a V8 snapshot, good luck. <laughs> good luck getting that back. So that's, a, that's called protected source code and that's a feature unique to NWJS where you can protect your JavaScript source code, um, which I think is really valuable because I practice the uh, philosophy of offline first, where all of your desktop apps are designed to run in an offline environment first and foremost, which, you know, if I was making a chat application, I probably wouldn't do that. You, mean, you need to be online to chat with people. But for almost every other desktop app, it makes sense to show that if you get on an airplane, you want to get some work done and you open up that app, it should still work without internet access. So if I was going to do protected source code, I could do that and still protect that source code and ship it to my user. They wouldn't have to be online for that to work. So that's just one of several features that NWGS has that Electron doesn't. That's the most prominent one people really like. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've gone over a lot of stuff. We should probably talk about that boilerplate. What we still have time. Yeah, I was about to say, at this point, you've convinced me. I'm going to switch over a side project to, to NWJS. Where do I start? I know you have a template. So let's, let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, there's there's a boilerplate that I've made. It started off as just an example of how to do the VCLI and NWJS together. So it's called NW VCLI example. And since then, I've, I've kept improving on it. And now it's what I think should be the go-to for anyone that wants to make a desktop app using Vue. So out of the box, if you already have Node and NPM installed, all you got to do is download, clone, or fork this repo. Do an NPM install and NPM start, and that will install all of your dependencies, uh, which will take a while, but that's always the case uh, on your first install. Then it will do the NPM start, which will start your Vue CLI Webpack server, the dev server. Once that's up and running, then your window will pop up and you have a desktop app. 
and you can right click and inspect elements and your Chromium DevTools will pop up. View DevTools are already built in and there is a view two branch and a view three branch. You can use either. It's designed to have very little, it's designed to be fairly technology agnostic. So, you know, anything that you could easily install through the view CLI, that doesn't come with it. So like if you want to view router or view X, you can easily add those things. But I wanted to make it as simple for, so it could be used by for everyone. You can do a NPM run build and that will do a build for the web. So you can literally just drop that, that disk-view folder on a web server and your desktop app code will run in the browser without any of your desktop app code specific stuff. That'll all be hidden and everything else will run like normal. And when you do npm run build, it'll do that. It'll also build for Windows, Linux, and OS X. So it does that automatically. That's already set up for you. And when you're writing your code, it's just like a normal view app, just exactly what you're normally used to. It's got your normal dot view single file components. The only difference is that now you can do in your script section, if this dot is desktop, and then if you are running your code in a desktop app in NWJS, then it will execute the code inside that if statement. Otherwise, it won't. Similarly, similarly in your uh, template, you can have a div, v if is desktop, and then that div will only be displayed in the desktop app version when you do the build. Um, so you can actually be doing your development for your web app and your desktop app simultaneously. And also from the template or from your script, you can access uh, the node process or the NWJS. Um, so you have access to this.require, which is the same thing as like requirefs, or this.process, if you want to do process.environment variables or whatever, or this.nw, which gives you access to the NWJS API. So you can spawn off a uh, desktop notification or set up your change your window stuff that way. So those those uh, few things are added in globally. So all of your components have access to that stuff uh, very easily. And the other thing that I set up with this was linting and Jest, because setting Jest up to do tests is a little bit more complicated for a desktop app. So uh, it does have 100% test coverage. So you can look at that as an example of how do I write tests um, it has tests both for the desktop and the web version. So you can look at that and it's got complete coverage. So you can see how do I write tests in this way? And all of that stuff is already set up for you. Surely you just, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this is really cool. In the space of you talking about that, I actually did all those steps and installed it and have it running right now. And yeah. it worked great. It was really easy. Literally just NPM install, NPM start. And you, I like this little example as well. Where you can show the file, what's in um in the file system on the directory. Because that yeah. kind of shows off some stuff you can't do with like a normal web app. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it even has a little link in that window where you can open it up in the user's default uh, browser and you can see the web app version running from the same, the same localhost server. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, so it looks a little bit different. There's stuff that's desktop specific that doesn't show up in the web version. So when you do a build, it builds for both. You get both, you know, automatically. And if you're into native script, you could, uh, I this is not set up, but you could also hook up native script into this. And then you could do a single command that would build for web, Windows, Linux, OS X, Android, and iOS, all from a single command, if you wanted to hook that up. I've not done that here, but it is compatible with that if you're already familiar with NativeScript view. Anybody listening to this, jump on a computer, unless you're driving a car, and give this a try. This is this is really cool. I like that. Says, there's even a link in, in there that says hide developer tools, like Jared just said. No, not yeah, hide developer tools, sorry. Open the app in a browser. When you open it in a browser, like you said, like a lot of the stuff then just disappears. And it's just such a beautifully thought out example application. So yeah, everybody check this out. Yeah, and, and it does have a big green button to show and hide DevTools. And if you click on that, the Chromium DevTools pop up and it should have the Vue DevTools built in, the latest version. So it looks like by default, it's using Vue 2. And you mentioned that you could use Vue 3 as well. What would I need to do to switch to that? There's that a Vue, branch? Yeah, there's a Vue 2 and a Vue 3 branch. Um, I'm in the process of setting up the Vue 3 branch. It's 
basically all done except for the testing part, which I'm waiting for uh, view test utils to get out of. It's currently in release client nine at the time of recording. And there's one, it all, I got everything to work and it's all working there in the test. It's just that there's one error that's popping up that they're looking into the view test utils people. So that's really the only hang up on view three. If you don't care about testing, but it's ready to go, you can just use the view three branch. And, and by I the time this goes out, by the time this, this podcast goes out, that may have already been fixed and the view three branch should be good. But yeah, I'll be switching over, deleting the main branch and just having view two and view three branches that you can pick from. And there'll be a uh, version one and a version two uh, releases. So I'll be maintaining both view two and view three for the time being. And I assume as well for, for the non-desktop use cases, you'd be able to use something like Cypress component testing if you wanted to do unit testing on, on components specifically. So that's something that's a little funky. Because NWJS has its own API that's globally accessible, if you try to run it in an end-to-end tool like Nightwatch or Cypress or Playwright or any of those, it's going to have trouble because it's, it's, it's trying to run your desktop app inside of a normal browser. So doing your, your node build or your Webpack stuff and having that run in a normal browser separate, that's fine, but trying to get it to run in an end-to-end test is a lot harder. So that's something that if you're in the end-to-end testing community, find a way to get a Hello World desktop app with NWJS to work with your tool. And uh, let me know, because I will put that, I will hook up your end-to-end tool, whoever you are, to every boilerplate and library that I own, that I, that I run, which is, a lot of them. So that's something that we've had trouble with is I've mentioned it to all these different communities. I've created GitHub issues and they're all like, yes, we should do that. But we have all these other priorities. Um, so nobody ever gets around to it. And I don't know enough about the end-to-end space. Like I've used Cypress at work, but I haven't, um, I don't know enough to dive in and do anything to hook it up myself. And the Electron community doesn't have to deal with this because most of them writes these tools in Electron. So like Cypress just spawns an Electron browser. So the Electron API is already accessible. Um, if they did that within WJS, you could pick that as the browser to use, then that's probably all you'd have to do. It's just look how they hooked up at Electron and do the same thing with WJS and have it run that. So um, yeah, I, I, that's the one thing that I haven't set up in any of my libraries is end-to-end testing for, for NWJS. One last question for you, since we're talking about the V3 build. I, I'm looking in here and you've got a, a helpers to apply the window.nw window.processes require. How does that look if you're using the setup and the composition API in Vue 3 to access those? They should still be globally available. It's basically just a, a, a global data property. So okay. it's, it's putting on everything. And I, from the, if you're running that inside of a setup function, it should already have loaded that stuff in the component and it could reference it. You can actually combine a options API and setup. So you can have a data and methods and computed and setup and watchers and created and have all of those in one file. It's just really funky. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, because the setup has a, different point uh, when it hooks into the life cycle of when it runs. So it's a little weird to have those things cross talk. I don't recommend it. Right. All right. I'll, I will try it out and let you know if I run into any problems on that side. Okay, cool. All righty. With all of that, we will start to wrap up and move on to picks. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there. And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Picks are things that we like, that we want to talk about that may or may not have to do with tech. 
So today we will start off with Luke. Use the force, Luke. Yeah, you know what? I've just been watching The Mandalorian, which isn't my pick, but I love it. I'm sorry, I just couldn't resist. Not a lot of force in it yet, but get little bits and pieces. Okay, I don't want to spoil anything. Anyway, um, my pick for today is a bit of a shameless plug. So uh, QuasarCast is just about to release its Getting Started series for learning Quasar. I've got all of the first sort of half of the videos done and edited. I'm super excited about this. So by the time this podcast is out, um, if you go to QuasarCast.com, then the, this Getting Started guide will sort of be top and center. Uh, yeah, so if you've ever wanted to try Quasar out, Quasar version two is out using Vue 3. Uh, you're gonna have to you're gonna have this guide where we get to build a to-do app from scratch with a back-end API as well that's already been built out for you. You get to just use it for free on the web. So um, I'm super excited about this. So if you're into that kind of thing, then check out quasarcast.com slash register, create an account there, and yeah, I'll let you know when it's out. But by the time this podcast is out, it should be there anyway. So that's my pick for today, quasarcast.com and the new Getting Started series. Right on. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Okay, so Lindsay, what do you have for us for picks today? So my pick is yet another side project from Evan Yu. I think we, as the Vue community, recognize that Evan likes to do side projects. And he'll just keep going on them and keep working on it and then release it. And people like it, and he'll keep working on it. That's how we got Vite. That's how we got a great many tools that we use today in the Vue ecosystem. Today on Twitter, as we're recording today, Evan announced Petite Vue, which is, I think he said 5.5, or no, it's, I'm looking at the unpacked size. It's 57 kilobytes on NPM. It is an alternative distribution of Vue optimized for progressive enhancement. It kind of is targeting the same, the same use case as AlpineJS where you can use the view syntax in just a regular HTML file. And all you have to do is bring in the, the JS package from like unpackage or something like that. Um, yeah, I saw that. That looks really cool. It looks really fun. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but... Like it's supposed to be for like server-side rendering things, but it also looks like it could be kind of for just basic enhancement, basic functionality on a website. Right. I, I bet it would be a, an excellent choice to use if you wanted to, something like NWJS and you didn't want to bring in all of you, but you wanted a little bit of extra reactivity. Yeah, any, yeah, anything like that, a little bit. Yeah, so that's my pick today, Petite View. I will make sure there's a link in the show notes for that. I guess I'll go, I guess I'll stay on topic today. My pick is nwutils.io. And anyone who's interested in NWJS and getting into it and wants to see a bunch of boilerplates and libraries and community stuff, all of those things from the NWJS community. That's a website that, uh, that I created, NWUtils, and it just lists a bunch of things there, a bunch of links for the community, for like Twitter, and there's a, an official Gitter and Discord, and that stuff is all set up there, and a bunch of links to libraries and stuff. So if you're looking for resources of like, I, I don't want to use the, the native find button that's in Chromium. I want to have my own custom one. And there's a library for that. So you can customize what it looks like and stuff. And it's already set up for you. So there's just a bunch of tools like that. There's one for like creating desktop shortcuts. If you wanted to do that, that's cross-platform. So a bunch of good libraries and tools and stuff on that site, nwutils.io. All righty. I will wrap up the picks with, I actually have a pick today. And then the high point of the entire podcast, my dad jokes. So uh, we'll start out with a uh, blog post that I've seen mentioned in multiple places. I first saw it on Hacker News and then seen it in other places as well, tweets and so on. So there is in development an API in JavaScript called Temporal, which is basically a new date time API for that will be part of JavaScript instead of having to use something like Moment or DayJS or some of the other libraries that we use. And so there's a very detailed blog post on a website that looks like it's straight out of the 90s, but has really good information. It's called Tuality, a guy named Alex Rauschmeyer, I believe is how you say his name. Anyway, it's called Temporal, Getting Started with JavaScript's New Datetime API. And he's updating as he goes along, it looks like. It's currently at stage three in the WC3's process. And I don't remember all the stages and, and where that's at, but I, I think that's fairly far along. Uh, I've heard other people talking about it as well. So anyway, it's a fairly technically detailed blog post on the new JavaScript DateTime API. Uh, and then finally, 
I'll end with my dad jokes for the day. So the question for everybody is, does anybody know why the king was only 12 inches tall? Because he was a ruler. I mean, come on. Thank you for that little laugh, Luke. Yes. And then my son had his birthday here fairly recently, and I decided I would get him a really unbeatable present for his birthday, and he really liked it. It was a broken drum. So anyway. Hey, hey, Steve. Yes. We, we've been at work. We've been talking about dad jokes a lot. Yes. And, and sometimes it's drifting into anti-humor and things like that. So uh-huh. my question for you would be, when does a bad joke become a dad joke? Oh, this sounds familiar. I, I don't appreciate the insinuation that a dad joke can be a bad joke, but I'll go with it. When, when does it drift? When it becomes apparent. Yes, yes, that's it. I'd heard that before. I am guilty of that, <laughs> I must admit. Apparent, yes, apparent. So that is it for today. So if you want to reach us, we can be reached on Twitter at various places. I am at Wonder95. Yes, there is a reason for that name. I think I've explained it. But Luke Diebold is at... Believe it or not, Luke Diebold. Lindsay Wardell is at Lindsay K. Wardell. Solomon is at Kapersky Guru. And the Jared Wilkert is at dun, 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 the Jared Wilkert on Twitter. So thank you for joining us to talk about desktop apps and view. And we will talk to you all next time. See ya. Hi, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.